0: Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian and Tonight, we're going to break down the Seahawks' 28-21 victory over the Cardinals and also go over some key injuries to watch ahead of Week 11 uh, Sunday. Thank you as always for tuning in Bring you new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, trying to make you the most educated football fan around. And we like to have a little bit of fun while we do that. So without further ado, let's talk about this Thursday night matchup. Had a lot of hype coming in and, you know, as we saw, you know, as the Ringers, uh, Kevin Clark once tweeted a long time ago, the Seahawks have never. Played in a in a normal game, so that did continue tonight. Don't be deceived by this uh, 28-21 final score. We had a missed extra point, a safety, multiple field goals. Uh, it was just a wild game, uh, kind of back and forth. So, uh, deceiving score for how weird of a game it truly was. I want to knock off a few things before we go through the players here. First of all, there's a lot of guys on Twitter, you know, saying that that Kingsbury uh, challenge with about two minutes, 30 seconds left in the fourth, was just a terrible decision because we all saw uh, that Carlos Hyde cover his own fumble. But I mean, even if you think there's a one percent chance, one percent chance chance it could work out they were going to call a timeout anyway to stop the clock before the two minute warning so by using the challenge you're using the timeout effectively anyway so you know if if you just truly think there is no chance about the Hyde thing being a you know ever being the Cardinals ball I understand that but I think you know in the kind of uh, brief moment ended up being a pretty smart call overall just there wasn't much of a you know lose factor to the decision Um, also at the end you know some people were saying there should have been a hands to face call on Russ uh, on that last kind of throwaway to the drive chill out everybody that was pretty weak play some football I don't want to hear that Uh, I guess the more questionable calls at the end of the game a deep pass into the end zone if not the one yard line intended for Larry Fitzgerald was a situation where the safety came over top, got there a little early. They were trying to say that he was going for the ball, so it was okay. And he got there early, but you know what? Why are we targeting Larry Fitzgerald so many freaking times on the final drive and not, I don't know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins or pretty much anybody else? So it's a situation where, okay, you know, Fitz probably had it, th- uh, probably should have gotten the DPI there, but I don't know. It was still, I-, I was happy to see him play. I'm always team, let the boys play. So, you know, I'm sorry for all the, uh, you know, fans out there I'm pissing off right now who are saying, how could you say that shouldn't have been a call? But, I, you know, I, I am a fan of Let the Boys Play. So without further ado, let's get to uh, some of these players. So Russell Wilson completed 23 or 28 passes, 197 yards, two touchdowns. We really saw them not let Russ cook as much in this one at all. But to his credit, I mean, he was just making one smart play after another. He also had 10 carries, 42 yards. There were a lot of passing plays where he was actually checking back into a run. So I don't think it was necessarily, you know, the situation where the Seahawks really wanted to lean on the run more than usual. I mean, Carlos Hyde had a team-high 14 carries. It wasn't like they were truly trying to, you know, handle handicap Russ or anything like that in terms of just uh, his total passing game volume, but I think it was more Russ's decision to not force things as much. You know, we'd have a lo- we would had a lot of interceptions over these past few weeks, and Russ did seem to make a concerted effort to not really take as many risks. Obviously didn't lead the same sort of fantasy production we're, we're used to, but got that rushing uh, rushing yard, and he's already really close to surpassing his 2019-2018 uh, totals there, so it wasn't the blow-up performance that we're used to, but I'm sure he will still be, you know, right around that QB1 borderline when this week uh, is all said and done. Uh, First touchdown of DK Metcalf was just, you know, vintage Russ, keeping the play going, always keeping his eyes downfield and hit him on a line in the back of the end zone also had a second touchdown to lock it uh from 11 yards out then you know same thing uh just able to put the ball right where it needed to be and then should have had a third first half touchdown actually hit DK Metcalf quite literally in the helmet but uh you know wasn't able to come down with it so didn't see you know a ton of uh overwhelming production in the second half but all in all very smart game from Russ even if it didn't include you know too heavy of a dose of his usual fireworks that he's just been spoiling with us you know for the better part of the last uh, decade uh with the run game yeah it was the Carlos Hyde show uh for Seahawks he ended up Playing 42 snaps, Bo Scarborough was only at 12. DJ Dallas was at six. You know, Hyde was someone that you know uh, we were treating as a as as a lower end RB two this week. Just weren't really sure how healthy he would be coming off that injury. But with this sort of usage, I mean, yeah, he's going to be you know in that higher end RB two conversation. I think moving forward because we didn't even see Dallas or uh, you know Scarborough especially. Uh, He Scarborough didn't have any targets. DJ Dallas had uh, just two of them. So you know, with Hyde actually leading the way in targets, uh, you know, we definitely didn't expect that. So Travis Homer and Chris Carson were inactive, obviously, if either of them come back, that could change things up a little bit. But with this sort of usage, Hyde can be a legit, uh, you know, higher end RB too. I mean, don't forget, he did run for a 1,000 yards for the Texans last year, looks spry enough in this one, you know, absolutely truck-sticked uh, Patrick Peterson at one point, had a nice little 17-yard run earlier uh, off a of cutback. So, you know, it was pretty funny seeing him get a target 40, yard down, 40 yards downfield. He's never obviously been one of the league's better uh, pass down backs, but clearly the Seahawks are comfortable enough with Hyde to keep him out there pretty much all three downs and when you're in the league's high strength uh, scoring offense that sort of role is gonna be tough to ignore in fantasy land so good stuff uh from a former former Ohio State Buckeye uh Carlos Hyde do keep an eye on the Bo Scarborough situation he suffered a fourth quarter injury that did not look good but uh, one of these things where you know even with or without Bo, I still think uh, Hyde is going to be a pretty clear lead RB1 in Seattle looking at these wide receivers DK Metcalf Quite the uh, up and down game. I mentioned the uh, you know touchdown hitting him in the face and falling to the ground, but had had his own touchdown that was that did count in the in the first drive of the game. Only five targets overall, but had a long I think it was like thirty or so yard completion over Peterson where he put him on freaking skates, but that got called back on a very questionable holding call. And then he came back and dropped another pass later, but uh, did have another uh, just play that really I thought showed off kind of his full kind of just uh, skill set as a receiver because everyone looks at him as this guy you know that can't really. Uh, creating a yak, and all he is is a speed guy that can run down the field and maybe just out physical dudes, but truly, I mean, let's let's get over the three-cone jokes, everyone. The freaking route he ran on Peterson, where it was like a stutter-step go back into a comeback, and then he caught the ball and immediately put his foot in the ground and got upfield. I mean, he put Peterson in an absolute blender. I mean, that was one of the worst drives we've seen for a single defender in a long time because right after that, Hyde uh, truck-sticked uh, Peterson. So, yeah, not good. I mean, it, it, was, it was still maddening to see Metcalf only get five targets in this matchup because we saw literally every single time, you know, Metcalf was uh, trying to test Peterson, he was getting the better of him. I mean, Troy Aikman was even saying on the broadcast, just the amount of times where it looked like, you know, Metcalf would definitely be able to just outrun him at this point in Peterson's career. Uh, you know, I certainly agree with that. So, only five total targets, unfortunately. It's good he found the end zone. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett found the end zone in the same game, people. It is possible. Uh, but yeah, no, I still think Metcalf, you know, more weeks not moving forward, will be the guy. But credit to Tyler Lockett. He looked healthy out there, caught all nine of his targets for six seven yards in the score just didn't see that usual you know big play ability from Lockett. and it wasn't even his fault it was just most of his targets were underneath but yeah his long catch was only 11 yards pretty funny um touchdown just in that you know we had the pff fantasy twitter account i love those guys but you know ca- calling toe jack swag he caught the ball like freaking six feet you know away from the sideline. so i don't know i thought that was a little bit of reach down the old uh, toe jack swag uh qualifier but whatever it's a touchdown. It's a touchdown, It's a touchdown Good game from Lockett. Good to see that he is healthy. Um, yeah, and the rest of the Seahawks receivers, nobody cleared 20 yards. Greg Olson, unfortunately, had a really nasty looking uh, non-contact injury. Hope he's okay. If he's not, it's going to be a Jacob Hollister, Will Disley committee. We can feel slightly about it, uh, slightly better about it in fantasy, but still not a situation that we can treat. With all that much confidence, they would be low-end, tight-end twos, I think moving forward. Uh, David Moore had one just didn't, wasn't, wasn't even put together really uh, any big plays. That was kind of the story of the night for the Seattle offense. Again, I mean, Russell Wilson did not make any dumb decisions really the entire game had two fumbles but but he he didn't lose either of them but you know didn't make any dumb decisions throwing the ball the entire game because of that we uh, you know it was good and they won the game and all that but we didn't see you know the usual allotment of just one splash play after another so great win for the Seahawks Uh, now moving on to the Cardinals side of the ball so Kyler you know 29 for 42 269 yards pair of touchdowns did take three sacks but no interceptions we just didn't really see the Cardinals you know consistently move the ball up and down the Feel field, particularly in the first half. You know, Kyler seemed to be uh, you know, pressing a little bit out there. It was interesting watching, you know, the Seahawks with Jamal Adams and just having I, I know Adams got put in a blender at one point by Kyler and he didn't look all that great in coverage, but you know, it was it was Adams, it was KJ Wright, had a great open field tackle, it was Carlos Dunlap all over the place all game. Like they just had a bunch of athletic guys running around there with Kyler that really stopped his, you know, eight stopped his ace card and that is his rushing ability only had five carries for 15 yards and no scores on the night so again you know 21 points against the Seahawks team they moved down and you know again had a chance to force overtime depending on what the ref was feeling like in that moment so it wasn't an awful performance but for a guy that was coming into the game averaging the most fantasy points per game by a quarterback in any single season ever uh, certainly wasn't the performance we were quite looking for there. So again, like with Russ, you know we're going to see bigger games moving forward from Kyler. Uh, certainly wouldn't worry about this performance by any stretch of the imagination. If Kyler's floor game at this point is 269 yards and two uh, touchdowns through the air without much in the rushing department, we will take that any day of the week. Uh, with these running backs, continue to see it split pretty evenly down the middle. Last week, it was almost exactly 50-50 in terms of snaps. This This week, Kenyon Drake was at 32 snaps. Chase Edmonds was at 27. Look, I mean, it's it's a result of being in the Cardinals' offense, so we gotta give him credit that. But you know, I I don't think we were too off base treating both these guys. You know, outside the top 24 options going into this game, I don't want to be you know the dude that's yelling about process over results. I get it, but at the same time, you know, Drake 11 carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown. He did catch four passes, but we haven't seen him used like that really all season. Not taking anything away from Drake. I mean, the touchdown was able to stretch out. He looked pretty explosive on a couple of his. Uh, receptions he's definitely you know closer to full health I think than he was initially coming off his injury but again you know only having those 15 uh, total touches though we were seeing a lot more than that earlier in the year and Chase Edmonds only had two carries and was really being used purely as a two-minute third down primary pass down back but he did catch four passes for 36 yards and a touchdown which he was lined up in the slot and he just ran this crosser and literally nobody guarded him I think uh, I saw ESPN stats and info say it was like the second uh, he had the second largest like total amount of total yards of separation of any touchdown score this entire season. Like he was all alone in the end zone. He had some nice plays otherwise, you no, know, they actually like using him in the slot. He runs some nice routes. He's an explosive guy. Again, I'm not taking anything away from how Drake or Edmonds played. I'm just saying in terms of their usage, we it's you know it's gonna be tough to kind of expect them to find the end zone every week. So you take away those scores just wasn't quite, you know, what we would expect from RB2s. They did score, but again, the best thing we can do as a you know fantasy football analyst they're just trying to project the future, uh, we're gonna have more success. To trying to project the volume versus what they're always going to be making of it. So good games from Edmonds and Drake in terms of what they produce, but I'd be hesitant in assuming that these guys are going to be able to kind of coexist moving forward based on this usage. Looking at the wide receivers, it was another game where DeAndre Hopkins just wasn't really getting going uh, early on in it. I think I don't think it was last week. I, okay, I know he went the hell off last week and had you know, the catch of the year. I'm not trying to say that, but I think it was uh, maybe that... Cowboys game, it was last week, or it was two weeks ago. Dolphins game, and that Cowboys game. Like, we see these first halves where Hopkins, like, literally just doesn't do anything. He only had one catch in the first half. In this one, they were trying to get him more involved in the third. Saw a little more on field frustration out of Hopkins. And I don't like when you know we just chastise these wide receivers for getting mad about not getting the ball. Shouldn't you want your best players to want to have the ball? Like, it's not like they're freaking out and tearing in their teammates, like, they just want to win, they want the ball. Show me, you know, a receiver that doesn't want the ball, and I'll show you a receiver that shouldn't be out there so situation where you know I'm not criticizing uh, Hopkins for that binding any and imagination if anything it was like why is Hopkins only finishing with eight targets and we got old man Larry Fitzgerald finishing with 10 to Larry's credit you know he caught eight of them for 62 yards but you know at this point come on guys we know Hopkins is if he's not the best wide receiver alive he is pretty darn close we can have a conversation about that and he would need to be heavily discussed and just what the types of targets are getting Fitzgerald like screens and just you know some of these just easy completions that it would be so much better used than Hopkins hands and Kirk's hands even Andy Isabella who you know had one catch for six yards and I didn't even remember seeing that one he had a target at the end of the game it's like Isabella if you look at just Kyle Murray's most efficient receivers throughout his career it has been Isabella's I think still at the top of the list and oh, I realize it's a small sample size everybody but still pull out the four or five actual big plays Isabella's made over the past two years I think that's probably more than Fitz has a total with about 10 times as much opportunity so Fitz is a freaking legend. Larry, legend, Hall of Famer. I get it, but you know, at this point, I think he is holding back. You know, the, the he's holding back the Cardinals' offense from being the true best version of himself. Like, why are we messing around with these actual tight ends and Dan Arnold, Max Williams? I'm not even trying to be a dick here. Like, make Larry Fitzgerald a tight end in this offense. They barely kind of use them as true inline options anyway. Like, don't make the tight end a wide receiver. Make the wide receiver a tight end, and let that be Larry Fitzgerald. But I digress. It is what it is. Uh, we just gotta continue to kind of remember with Christian Kirk I think specifically I, I realize he runs a different route and fits but just having someone like that out there that can still somehow get double digit targets uh, in the game doesn't help anyone else in this passing game so somewhat disappointing performance from Hopkins and Kirk you know Hopkins finishing with 5 catches 51 yards Kirk 4 catches 50 yards I guess very disappointing uh, for Hopkins particularly against you know by far the worst defense in the league uh, you know production allowed the wide receivers uh, yeah so did not want to see that but it's been a situation with the Cardinals passing game all year other than Kyler to Hopkins we just haven't seen them consistently flow and you know what when Kyler's usually picking up so many uh, yards and touchdowns on the ground hasn't quite mattered but we did see in this one you know they weren't able to move the ball as well as they would have liked when it counted so great win for the Seahawks 28-21 again don't let that final score uh fool you this was quite the weird game uh credit also let's see Dan Arnold had a nice touchdown just reading through my final notes four yard touchdown on a slant big guy uh yeah I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Dan Arnold saying they should maybe consider playing Larry Fitzgerald like they play him right now I just think that'd be a better role for Fitz at this point in his career might get him some better matchups uh, out there uh you have a Christian Kirk I mean he showed some good ability in the intermediate underneath areas of the field I know he's a guy that coming out of school School. People were thinking he was a slot only. He kind of disproved that his first year. And then, you know, we've seen a little bit more of the past two years. They just want to use him as his field stretcher, but he's more than that. I mean, you know, Kirk's someone that was probably a little lower on than I should have been going in this year. But this dude's a complete receiver. I do think there's a chance he can kind of be the long-term number two guy in this Arizona Cardinals offense. Uh it wasn't, you know, a big night for him, but I just think that, you know, you look a little bit closer at the routes he was running and some of the plays he was making. Uh, it was good stuff. He really is a lot more of a complete receiver than I think most would have imagined at this time so Seahawks 28, Cardinals 21, fun Thursday night football. And we got good Sunday night Monday night along the way, everyone. They finally gave us a solid uh, primetime re- week. A uh, quick shout out to our sponsors at Monkey Knife Fight before we keep on going. Guys, I have people that say, Ian, I want a discount. I want to go on PFF, get a subscription, but I don't want to pay full price. This is what you need to do. Go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit $20, use code PFF. You receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, And then you can take that $20 and use the to play prop game and daily fantasy contests on Monkey Knife Fight. And, you know, hey, maybe you turn that $20 into even more money. Maybe you don't. Either way, you're getting that $40 subscription for $20. So that is my advice to anyone that wants a PFF Edge subscription for less than $40. Monkey Knife Fight, code PFF, make it happen, people. All right, on this Friday edition of the podcast, we always go over some of the key entries to watch ahead of Friday. Look, you know, we're going to get all throughout Friday afternoon, just the official kind of questionable in out, uh, type of injury designations, usually the West coast teams kind of get their stuff in around six, seven, uh, PM Eastern time at the latest. And then, so we have up until Sunday and then an hour and a half before kickoff teams are required to submit their stuff. So if you have some time, you know, ahead of uh, Sunday at one o'clock to look over the rosters, you know, at noon would we'll certainly recommend doing so right now, you know, I'm working off of what we've seen Wednesday, Thursday, but again, uh, you know, make sure you check out those final designations before we get into, uh, actual Sunday so uh, looking at these the big one Alvin Kamara did not practice on Thursday with a foot injury after being limited on Wednesday. Obviously, I already have Breeze, you know, out this weekend. It's looking like at least one, if not two more with a rib injury and collapsed lungs. So Alvin Kamara said, you know, I'll be all right. He's did this earlier in the year. I mean, he hasn't been playing at 100%, even if he sure looks like it whenever he has the ball in his hands. So if he's active, top three back. If he's not, Latavius Murray is a legit RB1. Now, I know people, we've gotten burned with Alexander Madison. Uh, you know, we got burned with Chase Edmonds, even though Edmonds had the volume. We wanted Latavius Murray. Murray, he is the guy that, you know, honestly might deserve like top five treatment, even if Kamara's out. I wouldn't rank him top five, but, you know, we could talk ourselves into it because we had two instances in 2019 of Latavius Murray working as the league guy, and they didn't even pretend to use another back out there. 84% snaps, 82% snaps. He had 32 touches and then 30 touches, and, uh, you know, their wins over the Bears and the Cardinals in those games cleared, uh, you know, 150 total yards in each of those and scored four total touchdowns. So just absolute massive performances from Latavius. They have no problem with leaning on him with Alvin Kamara out. Don't, okay, I'm not even saying don't be afraid. You need to put Latavius Murray in any fantasy football league lineup that you have if Alvin Kamara is out. The same goes for, obviously, if Alvin Kamara is in. Uh, Panthers quarterback, Teddy uh, Teddy Bridgewater is limited with a knee and been limping at practice. NFL Network's Ian Rapport reports Bridgewater is unlucky to play, so not good. This, uh, this hurts everyone. I went through pretty much all my ranks uh, when I kind of got this news that Bridgewater wasn't going to be playing and just downgraded almost every single Panthers player by three or four spots. I love the XFL, everybody. I watched every single snap, and P.J. Walker was just a great guy to watch. Uh, He was a joy. He was fun. He was athletic. He made a bunch of off-script goodness happen. And for those reasons, I don't think he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. It's not like... Philip Walker did not have, you know, chances in the NFL to make a name for himself. He was with the Colts for years. He had plenty of opportunities in the preseason. As someone that really wishes uh, Chad Swag Kelly would be out there, I can tell you that Walker was being outplayed regularly by Swag Kelly, who could not find a job in the league. So credit to Walker for going to the Houston Roughnecks, playing a wide open June Jones offense and making plays. But unless we're talking, you know, DFS, we just want to ride that cheap salary and, you know, take a dart throw and a GPP, I don't know how you can get behind PJ Walker. I mean, I just think everything about his game screams someone that can't quite work within the confines of an offense. They try to put too much on their own plate. And when they face NFL competition, they're no longer able to make the sort of athletic plays that have carried them throughout their career. In the XFL, when throwing in less than two and a half seconds, PJ Walker was, remember, there are there were eight XFL teams. So he was seventh in QB rating with a 4.2% touchdown rate. When he's throwing in more than two and a half seconds, he was first in QB rating with a 15.2% touchdown rate. Truly everybody, the plays this guy, was making while fun, usually were of the variety. You know, the Johnny Menzel type stuff that looks great, captures your heart, looks awesome on a highlight. Not exactly great when you're facing athletes that all of a sudden are just as fast as you at all areas of the field. So I am fading most of these guys and start sick questions uh in the Panthers offense with Bridgewater out. Look, Mike Davis, he's going to be getting absolutely fed. So I think he's someone that you know you're still firing up as an RB2 uh, with a decent level of confidence. But anybody close to Robbie and DJ Moore, give me the other guy. Got some Chiefs running backs missing practice. Clyde Alaire with an illness and also Daryl Williams not there on Thursday. So not sure what's going on. It doesn't seem like it's COVID, but we'll find out. You know, just got a monster these illnesses as they come in. And I would just note that, you know, the touch count between Clyde, Wow, it's been in his favor in three games now with Le'Veon, It has been a little bit closer than I think maybe some people uh, were suspecting because Clyde, 85 snaps, Le'Veon only 52 snaps, but Clyde's had 19 carries, 12 targets, Le'Veon 16 carries, 4 targets. So it's clearly Clyde, but if he goes out, I mean, Le'Veon would actually be a higher-end RB2 than I think uh, Clyde would be if he's just in there with the normal setup. So, you know, playing the Raiders, we're going to see all sorts of points. Nobody's implied for more points this week than the Kansas City Chiefs offense. So whoever is starting is going to be a solid RB2. It's just a shame that, you know, we're not getting that true kind of top 5 Five, uh, option at the position in this Chiefs offense that we were hoping for. Uh, also on the Chiefs, Sammy Watkins has been downgraded from full to limited. He's been coming back from a hamstring injury now apparently there's a calf issue. Oh man, just one thing after another with Sammy. It sucks. Hope, hope he can get healthy. I mean, look that Week One game and then also the playoff run. Like Sammy's been playing way better football than I think we're used to seeing uh, in his past uh, you know four to just eight games he's been out there. But right now just not healthy. So you know Miko Hardman is on the COVID list. So we're looking at the Marcus Robinson Byron pringle uh potentially joining uh tyreek hill and travis kelsey out there on the field you know other than the run as a skill position guys other than the running back so i think uh, robinson and pringle boomer bus wide receiver fours this could just be a week where you know kelsey and uh hill are seeing you know upwards of 15 targets each i mean it could be that situation or we just get more rush attempts so either way i don't think sammy with this injury is someone you want to count on in your lineups this week with the Bengals, T. Higgins is not practicing due to an illness. Again, not sure if it's COVID, but just need to monitor. Uh, would be a boost for, you know, my guy Auden Tate if Higgins doesn't end up missing this one. But I'm not sure we should be assuming that at this point. Either way, Tate wouldn't be someone we're looking to actively uh, plug into fantasy lineups. One day, maybe, but not n- n- definitely not today. Probably not tomorrow as well. Uh, Tyler Boyd you know, versus football team defense, I think, would be uh, set up as you know the best Bengals wide receiver. But I'm getting a little more worried about this game the more I look at it. There's going to be a ton of volume. I mean, Burrow has a league-high 400. 18 dropbacks to 10 weeks. But, you know, we talked about it on this podcast all year. Like, the one crypt tonight for this Bengals offense is pressure. And the Washington football team, I believe they're ninth in, uh, you know, pressure rate on the season. And they got all sorts of beasts on that defensive line. So, you know, even if they aren't the Ravens, even if they aren't the Steelers or even the, you know, week one version of the Chargers, I do think there is a situation where they could uh, make life really tough for Burrow and company, particularly if he's not going to have his uh, full crew of skill position players. Because Joe Mixon has been practicing all week with the uh, foot injury. So, you know, Giovanni Bernardo there he's fine I don't think you know going from mixing geos is massive you know downgrading overall offensive efficiency or anything like that but you know th- especially this wide receiver room like the Washington football team is elite the league best defense in PPR points and the fewest PPR points allowed to the wide receiver position so they are no joke and I just think you know with Alex Smith now playing some good ball you know uh, ideally turnover free after having some problems with that a couple weeks ago uh, might not be you know the potential smash spot that we were hoping for out of this Bengals offense. A lot of injuries going around uh, with the Packers. Devontae Adams did not practice on Thursday with an ankle injury. We got Alan Lazard still being limited with the core. Uh, Matt LaFleur said that he'll be eased back into the lineup. So even if Adams is out, you know, we could seemingly fire up Lazar with some more confidence. I don't know. I mean, MVS, Equinemian, St. Brown, they just got other options out there, you know, even, uh, I believe it's Shepard or, or the other guys, so uh, they got other options out there they might roll out. Hopefully Adams, you know, pushes through. If he does, obviously we're going to be going back to well with him as the overall wide receiver one, but it's just unfortunate because they've really kept MVS in that field stretcher role for most of the year, and you know, this would be a game with Devontae out, as we saw Lazard do against the Saints. I think he'd be leaned on as a wide receiver one, but it's just too concerning with the snap shares. If you're desperate, give me Lazard over MVS if uh, Adams is out. But I just don't think either are going to be super recommended starts because credit to the Colts. I mean, they're a good secondary and I've called them. I call them the F word. I've called them frauds throughout this year. And even though I don't think they're incredible, they're not the league's best pass defense. uh, You know, they are the only defense in the league that contests at least 20 percent of their opponents targets against. So they're human. You know, we saw gardner Mintry go 19 for 20. Lamar go 19 for 23. Stafford threw for 336 yards and 3 tutties. Burrow threw for 313. Baker had a massive uh, first half against them, but you know, every defense in the league has had these sort of, uh, you know, pick and grab quarterback performances against them, so Colts are legit, and if it's going to be a banged up version of this Packers passing game, you know, I do think it is fair to slightly downgrade uh, Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, we have seen him come through without his number one guy in the past, but in this matchup, uh, I would probably knock him. He'd still be a top eight quarterback but I would knock him down uh, probably a couple slots without Devontae Adams uh, but the Colts so Jack Doyle is back practicing in full with the concussion Me- meanwhile Mo Cox is n- limited with a knee injury this is a three tight end committee with Trey Burton also there I lean Mo Cox, but man like just try to stay away from a tight end room featuring not one not two but three guys I'm I'm passing on that overall. Uh, Unfortunately, DeAndre Swift, who practiced in full on Wednesday, was now a DMP on Thursday, and they think he has a concussion. So this sucks right when he sees the role. You know, we've been talking on this podcast all week about how great Swift looked in that game as a runner, as a receiver. I mean, just the things he can do uh, in all, all facets of the game have been truly awesome. You know, had a, Marcus Mosier on the Thursday edition of this podcast big dynasty guy he has Swift as a top five dynasty running back right now and you know even if I might not go that high I think he should probably be in anyone's uh, top 10 top 12 uh, at, at the at the latest so if Swift is out I think Adrian Peterson slides in as kind of a borderline RB2 I don't think on Johnson will be that guy like look Lions gave AP at least 12 combined carries and targets in five of their first six games and Swift only had that once during that stretch Carryon hasn't had that sort of workload all season long so for whatever reason, they're prioritizing AP over carry-on. Maybe they're trying to keep carry-on healthy. I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on in Detroit. It is upsetting, upsetting that Swift will be out. Maybe with uh, Kenny Galladay practicing, though, with this hip injury, we could see a situation where Stafford just really airs it out. Stafford's banged up himself with a thumb, but he was limited and seemingly is good to go, uh, you know, after get, getting their practice on Thursday. So Stafford's had under a 10-yard average target depth in every game without Galladay, but now you take away Swift, I mean, that's their main kind of underneath, guys. So we can really see Stafford Stafford, looking downfield more than ever, throwing to Galladay, throwing to Jones, uh, and yeah, and so if Galladay is back, you know, he's a top 12 wide receiver for me, Jones would drop down to more of a lower end wide receiver three, maybe more mid-tier, because again, I do think Stafford could have to throw more, but just realize, I mean, we've seen, we have not seen, I should say, uh, too many instances of both Galladay and Jones balling out in the same game. With Galladay out, Jones has five touchdowns in five games this year, so you can keep him in that wide receiver two range if Galladay is sideline, but otherwise, I do think Jones deserves a downgrade, even if we are going to. See, more of a gunslinger attitude out of Stafford. Calvin Ridley has been limited all week with a foot injury. Look, I, I do this radio show in Wisconsin every Thursday for 30 minutes. And I got to start sick question. That included Calvin Ridley. Guys, the only thing that offends me more than like trying to bench A.J. Brown is trying to bench Calvin Ridley. Stop it. Don't do it. If he's healthy, he needs to be out there. Get Calvin Ridley in your lineup no matter what. I've already wasted your time by even talking about this. Uh, Drew Locke has been practicing throughout the week. Or he practiced Thursday with a with the rib injury. Noah Fant was also limited with his rib injury. So uh, Vic Fangio said he's confident Fant will play. He's already dealing with his high ankle sprain, though. Noah Fant truly is a warrior out there. He's still putting up numbers. I think last week was the first time all year he didn't have 35 receiving yards. So, I mean, he's still got a nice floor and at the tight end position, not like we have many better options to work with. So I just still think Fant is in that mid-tier tight end one, one range, even though the you know, ceiling would be so much higher if he was healthy. Sounds like a lock is trending towards playing. This is just a brutal matchup against this Dolphins defense that we have seen, you know, really just, uh, you know, shut down many a quarterback this year. I think it's a bad matchup for Tua coming all the way to Denver as well. Brutal spot all around. Bet the under if it is not low enough already. Uh, looking at the, let's see, we talked about the Bengals already. Uh, Duke Johnson returned to practice Thursday uh, with the illness. So, you know, Duke, 94% snap rate last week. He gets a Patriots defense that has a shell of themselves from what they were last year. And Duke bought out against them last year. I mean, this is actually one of his better games uh, with 90 total yards on 14 touches and a score. Look, you know, know far too fast for the linebackers to handle and you know I think we're gonna see a much better version of Duke this week because one they're not playing in a freaking monsoon in Cleveland and two I think I'm cautiously optimistic that Sean Watson is gonna lead this offense to more uh, than seven points here moving forward so you know maybe Duke just struggles and they get Buddy Howe a little more involved but I don't know everyone I think you know the performance people looked at the you know 5.4 fancy points or whatever it was Duke finished with and just kind of wrote it off I mean he trucked the living shit out of Andrew Sandejo he had another nice 23-yard run where he left uh, multiple guys uh, kind of grasping for air. Like there's, There was nothing about that performance that said Duke Johnson can't be uh, there in between the tackles guy. We have so many years of evidence that he can be that guy. I am not giving up on Duke as an RB2 just because of that game last week. Start him with confidence against the Patriots. Um, let's see what else we got here. Andy Dalton uh, is back in action with a uh, you know clear concussion protocol, done with COVID. And we also got Zeke practicing in full out of the bye. So, look, we in, we in about eight about eight total quarters with Andy Dalton. Uh, his target distribution was Amari Cooper with 18, C.D. Lamb with 18, Zeke down to 13, Michael Gallup with 10, Dalton Schultz with 9, Tony Pollard with 7, and a bunch of guys uh, with uh, five or fewer targets. So, you know, Cooper and Lamb at the top, I do think those guys are pretty much the only receivers you can start against this bike defense that really was not good in the first part of the season but since they're by we've seen them playing a lot better and I think we always knew this was going to happen at some point uh, you know under a Mike Zimmer coach defense they still don't have you know the overwhelming talent without the, the Neil Hunter or you know a truly great cornerback or anything like that but I still think that uh, you just look at them as a whole and they have more than enough firepower to make life hell for Dalton company with this Cowboys you know offensive line still being anyone's idea of a patchwork unit so hey Cooper we're getting the volume back I think he's you know a recommended star wide receiver two Zeke I mean we're now got the bell cow back for an offense that even though they're not going to even come close to resembling what they did with Dak we can at least maybe expect to flirt with 20 points more weeks than that which is a lot more than what we could say in past weeks I'm fine I'm fine going the well with CeeDee Lamb as you know this wide receiver three but other than that people just still keep in mind like Andy Dalton is not the savior uh, in Dallas but I do think that you know because of the way he kind of focuses his targets around Amari Cooper we can get some value there just two more here we got matt breeder practicing in full with a hamstring injury so you know I don't want to say I was buying in the Salvin Ahmed hype. I ranked him as my RB twenty-three before even knowing that Matt Breida was going to be back. But I just think that now it's more of a situation where we should show a lot of you know caution with Ahmed. So you know I have him ahead of Melvin Gordon, Adrian Peterson, Naeem Hines, but you know had him behind Drake, behind Antonio Gibson, behind McKissick, Damian Harris, Rojo, you Balaj, Von- Vonnie Bernard, Duke Johnson. So I could even see myself moving uh, Gordon and AP ahead of Ahmed at this point. Because because we don't know what this backfield is gonna look like. I mean, this guy has been okay over the past two weeks, but I don't know if it's enough to say that Brita isn't gonna be that guy. Cause since week one, Brita has been their lead number two back, and Miles Gaskin was their number one. So we never saw a situation where Brita has been out there and hasn't been given some level of a role. So at a minimum, I don't think Ahmed's gonna have you know the massive 80% plus role that we you know we saw him kind of have over this uh, last week. Even with Jordan Howard gone, I do think it is uh, you know concerning enough with Breida being back, particularly with. Him taking, you know, the fantasy friendly pass down work that, you know, I'm not going to be prioritizing Salvin Ahmed as the RB2, like I thought maybe we were at the beginning of the week. Uh, Yeah, so Jordan Howard got cut by the Dolphins. Now he's on the Eagles practice squad, everybody. I'm not too worried about it with Miles Sanders, but, you know, he actually did outplay Miles Sanders for the first part of last year, which was wild. Sanders' big breakout came when uh, Howard was on the sideline with a shoulder injury, but, you know, come on, he's been uh, one of the Eagles' lone bright spots on offense throughout the year. Really, really hope. It's not going to be a problem. I got my fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood. I think we'll be good, everybody last one vikings tight end earth smith has been limited all week with a groin injury kyle rudolph is a legit tight end one if earth smith stays out which is both you know a testament that in this offense if we have one tight end it can work out pretty well in fancy land and also just a reality that this position you know behind travis kelsey and darren waller more weeks than not uh, is just a dumpster fire last week rudolph caught four passes over 63 yards and lost a fumble that was good enough to be the ppr tight end seven on the week so this position guys absolutely ridiculous but yeah if earth smith is out kyle rudolph will be a recommended top 10 option as a position that's going to do it everybody thank you as always for listening to pff fantasy football podcast we come out with these every single day of the week monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday you can catch me on twitter at iHeart i send out the episodes in the morning and also got a fair amount of articles going throughout the week as well so again just want to make all you fans out there the most informed fantasy football, real life football, just football fans out there. And we like to have a little bit of fun while doing so. So I'm Ian Hard. It's been the F- PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.